I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2020 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. In today's program, we learn about some of the strategies and growing pains in getting an entire dealership on board with developing a profitable precision business. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Well, leadership of a precision farming business can take many forms and come from different places within a dealership. But it often takes a coordinated effort by ownership, management, and specialists to create and sustain a productive culture. The stability of a precision business is rooted in its people and their ability to collaborate on a unified goal to maintain a competitive advantage. Employee recruiting and retention, product diversity, and revenue growth are challenges many dealerships encounter on the precision side, but there are proven tactical approaches to maintaining precision profitability. So what's the secret in getting universal dealership buy-in its precision business? It starts with communication and planning, cornerstones of ICE Implement strategy for establishing its precision farming department. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast, we welcome in ICE Implement owner John Ice, Precision Farming Manager Eric Hagenow, and Precision Farming Specialist Phil Davister to talk about how each of them define their role within the dealership's precision business, lessons learned building the business, and advice for how to improve culture and accountability. Just to kick off, I'd like to have each of you gentlemen uh, just start out by introducing yourself, sharing a little bit about your background, your role within the dealership. Thanks, Jack. Well, I Supplement is a single-store John Deere dealer. We've been around for 73 years here in uh, Northeast Wisconsin, and we have about 35 employees. And we started our precision farming division in 2014 when Eric came on board. And then we added Phil a few years later. I myself, I've been with the company for 13 years, spent the bulk of it on the aftermarket side. And uh, last year took position of COO. And I also now oversee uh, service department, parts department, marketing, and accounting. And I've been working hand in hand with our sales department as well. Uh, so many hats, as, as those of you are familiar with uh, single store operations, we tend to wear many hats. But that makes makes every day a new a new day a new challenge. Hi, uh, yes. Good morning. I'm Eric Hagenow. I am the uh, precision farming uh, manager. For us, it's more of a title than it is actually a manager, uh, so to speak, role. You know, my background. I, I worked for a competitive deer dealer about 35 miles away from here for about 21 years. I left that dealership and I went into the precision field as sort of an independent uh, dealership and worked there for three and a half years. And then I had gotten a word that, that ICE was looking for a, uh, a precision farming specialist. And, and I, I thought it would be a nice gig. I wanted to get back with the deer side of things again. So I thought, let's get back in there. So that's how I got started back in again. It's been really good the last five years now. Um, we've grown immensely. Um, we started an RTK network through DigiFarm. Um, we've, we've done other things that you know, ice implement wouldn't have even thought of doing before uh, selling tile plows and that kind of stuff. So we've, we, we've, we've grown a long ways and along that we've got, you know, things that we're still working on to, to make life even better around here. I'm Phil Davis, sir, precision farming specialist. 
came into ice uh, in the parts department, started in the shipping and receiving, then graduated up to the front parts counter, then waited for the precision farming department to take off and warrant the second person. So that's when I joined the precision farming department. Excellent. So, um, John, I know, uh, you know, you've been to a few of our events. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, in your introduction, there, opening comments that, you know, you wear a number of hats, but from your perspective, you know, as is kind of that upper management, I wanted to see if you could just kind of share your approach and, and involvement in kind of the oversight of the precision side of ice. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I also have to say that the dealer summits have played a big role in my learning and growing as a leader. Um, so if any of you are out there that are listening that have not attended either the, the precision farming one or the, uh, the dealer summit, definitely check that out. It's, it's worth every penny. I've really enjoyed it and I've taken a lot away from that. For us, it's just been a new sense of just trying to drive some goals to the guys, get them, get them on a path, uh, show them the numbers, being an open book to them, letting them see how they're having an impact on the store has been important. Um, we've laid out a, a lot of different directions for them, and, and uh, we even built a, a bit of a quarterly bonus structure for them this year I can get into a little bit later. You know, when Eric started in 2014, it was kind of a very informal thing, just here, Eric, go run with it, and didn't get much direction from us as management, and didn't really... We did a poor job of linking the other departments, the rest of the organization with the precision farming. And still to this day, I know the guys, we talk about all the time, how they're, they're kind of on their own island. We keep trying to find different ways to, to connect the departments closer with them. Well, you mentioned that connection. That's obviously a, a big part of ensuring that, you know, you, you've got a successful, you know, streamlined business plan. Um, you know, again, from your, your seat, John, I mean, how do you kind of, uh, I guess, develop that vision of, of where you want to take that side of your business? Does that come from Phil and Eric or, or is that, you know, kind of collaborating with the other departments on, you know, how does that precision fit into the overall business goal? I've always been kind of one of those forward thinkers, nerdy techie type person. So seeing, you know, going back to like the original Green Star, I was the kid that was pulling apart the the demo box and and hooking it up to a gator. And while, you know, my uncle, our sales manager at the time was like, God, just throw that thing away. It's junk. So I, I always tend to be forward thinking on the tech side saying, this is where it's headed. And that's where I view the PF uh, department. It, it's linking everything you need to have that connection. And pretty soon it, it's probably going to be more popular in terms of volume than even uh, equipment sales in the future. And, and we needed to adapt to that and, and be talking about it and at least anticipating it. And, and both Phil and Eric have been crucial. And uh, on the data side, Phil saying, Hey, you know, we've got this going on with John Deere operations. You know, here's these third party apps that are coming in. This is, we've got to be looking at how can we capitalize on it? Eric bringing in the tile plow and some of the, the RTK programs and services have been important too. So having that open ear for them, no idea is a crazy idea. And I, from a management standpoint, I guess if you, if you can strive to listen to your staff, you may not agree with them, but you have to look at the data then and understand it to see if what they are saying does make sense and, and, and can be a, a lucrative deal. And sometimes you just got to let them try it. Let them prove that that it can be done and it'll work. And that's where I've, I've given my trust to them is let's just try it and see what happens. 
Well, well Eric, I, I had the opportunity to ride along with you earlier this year and uh, spend some time uh, just, just as we were getting into spring uh, for our Day in the Cab series and, and had an opportunity to, you know, kind of catch a glimpse of how you and Phil interact, communicate throughout the course of a day. And from my perspective, it looks like you guys had a, a very good rhythm. You guys kind of were able to communicate those expectations, but I know that that doesn't happen overnight. Could you kind of talk a little bit about just the day-to-day relationship that you guys have, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the heat of spring or, you know, kind of maybe, uh, I guess, the, the quote-unquote off-season where you guys are trying to set uh, expectations between each other and, and what uh, you want to accomplish in the short term, but also kind of looking out a little further. Yeah, because he and I pretty much take care of, I would say, 95% of all the precision calls and problems. Um, besides the sales, you know, we provide all the support. So when we look at, you know, spring is always the worst time for us. Um, there's only two of us. He usually takes north of the store. I usually got south of the store. But many times we're overlapping. Uh, we always look at it at a case-by-case situation. Um, maybe guys his way are planting. My guys aren't. He's struggling with something. And if I can, you know, go up there and help him with it or we'll, you know, talk about it, we'll get through it. Um, I'll do that. And same coming, you know, my way. If I got uh, an install that I'm behind on, I got sidetracked with some other sales calls that we were on, he might say, ah, my guys are okay right now. I can come down and give you a day down here too. So, you know, we're, we're probably in the, in the heat of like spring. We're probably talking to each other, oh God, a half dozen times a day, but we'll start out in the morning. You know, where are you at? What's going on? You know, you got something that's that's blown up right now that you got to go to, and then you know, do you need something covered on the backside? Is kind of how we kind of approach it, and then we work off of that. Everything, it everything does seem to fall into place after a while, even though you might think when you get up in the morning and you got five things staring at you that you know you didn't get done yesterday, and these guys are going to want it. Things do tend to work out, um, but we'll strategize on who's who's in need of the the most critical first and then work off of that. And if I need him in, in case like we were doing a day in a cab, I needed him to bring me a part and just get me a part halfway to where I was. And if he can make that work, he'll bring it over. We'll, 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 we'll talk about what, maybe what else is going on and then I can, you know, continue on from there. So that's how we've been running it. You know, we're, I would say we're very even as far as what we do. Um, we challenge each our, ourselves as far as selling things, you know, you know, where are you at with uh, a manure sense right now? Are you getting that sold or not? Or we got to talk a couple of tile pile deals going, what's happening with that. But in the end, we're, we're very, very uh, even as far as what we're doing, how we're handling things and, and we communicate real well together. Phil, any thoughts on Eric's comments? Yeah, he pretty much summed it up. It's uh, we try to call it controlled chaos in spring because things can get pretty out of hand pretty quick, but we, gather sell ourselves a somewhat of a game plan we can we can tackle them efficiently and effectively so phil another question for you and this kind of plays off something that eric said when when i was out there visiting but um you know and it's probably a pretty simplistic breakdown but i know you know eric said he's he's much more kind of coming from that mechanical background and and you know uh, doesn't mind getting in there, you know, messing with the hardware, doing the installs, the cabling, um, you know, and, and he kind of described you as, as the data guy, you know, the guy that's going to handle a lot of that stuff when it comes to customers. You know, could you just elaborate a little bit on, I guess, that, um, you know, division of responsibilities, how you guys kind of 
um, you know, decide who's going to do what. And then I guess, you know, the, the accountability side of that, you know, and, and, you know, to know that, um, you know, that customer's in, in the best hands. Well, with Eric coming off in the tech world for many years previous before this, he's been with the understanding of here's the job, it's broke, go fix it. So he's, it's broke, he fixes it, he moves on. And you don't worry, you always have a service manager or someone to take care of the paperwork side and all that. Whereas now we're pretty much taking control of all that. We do our own, we make our own work orders, put our time on it, and then follow up with the billing out. So we're taking that whole cycle and doing it, doing ourselves. And sometimes he struggles a little bit with the, with the paperwork side of it. So as far as like service agreements and making agreements in the SFAP portal in the John Deere world, I take care of a lot, handle a lot of those responsibilities. So what, what kind of feedback do you guys get then from, from John and maybe John, you can, you can answer this too, but in terms of obviously, you know, uh, and maybe this goes back to more of the accountability, but um, kind of taking a look at what are, uh, you know, how much communication is there when you get out of those busy seasons to say, you know, Hey John, this is something that we might want to take a look at, or, or we, you know, thought of something, you know, during the season that maybe is going to help us, you know, be more efficient, whether it's billing, whether it's looking at, you know, kind of the, the product lines, offerings that you guys have. I think for, for probably a good example was our RTK network. Uh, Eric proposed it to us and it was a significant investment on our part, but working with Digifarm, we were able to compared to like building our own radio towers, our, our cost was substantially less. So that really worked out uh, well for us. We were able to cover a large area for just our, our single store. So that's been very good. And it's, it's bringing some of that recurring revenue for them that they needed to really start building a foundation. And uh, now they've started to do that with their uh, service agreements, annual service agreements for the PF side. When they do sell a, a PF product, they're tagging on a, a free year of uh, service support and then uh, renewing that service support the following year for $350 for the year. So again, we got through our first year of that and now we're in our second year. Uh, of, and that too has again brought that recurring revenue in and given some more foundation to do things. So we just keep kind of taking a stepping stone with it. They provide the idea and then we, we crunch a quick couple numbers on it and just roll the dice on it and go. It's made it a little bit harder now with the, where the large egg side has been with the farm industry, but uh, we're still looking for new new avenues and new ways to grow. The big push for us has been on the labor front now. How can we how can we capture that labor? Uh, it's really a challenge in that aspect because both these guys here. There's only if you look at the the counties that we serve, how many individuals can actually go and and do some of the things that they're doing. There's not many. Their time is valuable, so for us to be able to start capturing some of that labor is again, really helping build that foundation for them. The one thing that that's really unique for, uh, for them, like Eric and Phil said, doing the paperwork side, we initially had them on the sales side. They were, they were doing purchase orders and you know, each deal was an individual deal and it's a bit cumbersome that way. And we wanted to figure out how we could incorporate them more with like a, a work order side of things where they have a, a service tech and they can 
bill some of their hours. And that's turned out to be a bit of a cumbersome task too at times. Um, but basically the unique thing is they're touching all department processes. So they may be doing a parts ticket and uh, having the parts guys bill something out that just ordered out the door. Or they may be doing a work order that they're going to be billing some labor to. Or they may be selling a, a stock unit uh, that they're going to be doing setup on and then they're doing a purchase order for that. So that's been one of our hurdles is they're, they're doing so many different processes multiple ways, mainly because then it tracks well on, on the accounting side so we can see it and it's providing the customer with, with the information they want to get on an invoice. Um, so we're, we're struggling through that on the admin side, how we can better make use of their time. If there's a way to make it work, it's, it's convenient for Eric when he's out on the road and he knows he needs to order these, you know, pop-up kits from another supplier. He can just make a phone call and get them ordered. Uh, and then it's connecting those pieces in the back end um, has been our, our, our challenge. So one of the questions we had come in here was uh, kind of along that, that service side and uh, wanting to know what tool or tools are you guys using to kind of do your own billing? Are you guys utilizing a platform? Is this something that you guys have developed internally from a, a kind of procedural standpoint? We are using service delivery, which is provided through Deer. Uh, we're on Deer's equipped business system. And uh, it's the same program that our shop is using. We've been able to set up separate precision farming codes for uh, any technician that were to work on something PF as well as Eric and Phil. So that then it tracks to the PF department. And that's, that's been pretty streamlined. We just started that this year. I don't know if you guys have any feedback on, on that. It's, it's another learning curve. Yeah, you know, some of the problems that we run into is that you may take a phone call you're driving to another customer, you're taking a phone call and this fellow needs you to stop in and uh, maybe calibrate a steering system. So you do that and then you have to remember always to you know, make that work order second. It's, it'd be easier always if the phone call went to a service manager, he made the work order and it got dispensed that way. We're not like that. So we take calls all day long and we may be running from one fellow to another and then to be able to track all that and be able to keep track of it. So Three days later, a week later, I may sit down then and say, all right, what did I do last week? And I got to remember what I all did because that's where I'm running into issues is trying to figure out, okay, how many places were I all, was I at? Um, did I need to make a work order for this guy or was it actually a warranty call? Was it just a, all right, we need to get you going kind of call. Um, we're roping it in with, uh, with the selling of the new product. And those are some of our stumbling blocks right now because it's just, it takes us a little time to be able to do that. And then in, in spring when everything is condensed into a, a three or four week window or even less at times, you just don't want to forget things. You just don't want to give things away. And we're, we're trying to get away from that. We're working as hard as we can to get around that stumbling block. And we're just, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out different methods, but we haven't really, you know, come across the right one yet. We are, we do have uh, Salesforce and we're working with Anvil AppWorks and they've built automation for us throughout our, our quoting procedure on the sales side and, and some of the purchase order and invo invoicing. So we're developing a whole sales workflow uh, with them right now throughout our shop and it's been going pretty good. So we're looking at uh, ways that we can incorporate that system into the PF side to automate some of that for Eric and Phil so that when they do get those calls, they can uh, create some tasks that will automate and remind them that uh, these things need to be done or, or maybe even, we'd like to get to the point where we have an admin person that they can go to where some of these requests would automatically go to that admin and then 
that admin would create the work order and get things rolling for them, at least get them, get the process going and then they can fill in the blanks at a later date. So we're excited about that. Again, trying to always look at forward looking what's, what technology can do for us. And, um, we're, we're excited to see where that's going to take us here in the remainder of the year. So, uh, Phil, with, with you kind of being responsible for working with a lot of those, you know, now those third parties options that are obviously uh, getting tied in, being available when you're talking about, you know, whether it's the operations center or my John Deere, I mean, how, what's kind of that process been like for you when you're kind of dealing with the data side now? Oh, a lot of it's just been learn as you go and something new comes out, you just do your research on it and try and get it to tie in and start thinking who who will this benefit and start talking to those guys and it's been pretty good when the operation center when it first came out it was all new and deer likes to see the operation centers grow and so went out and started talking to customers and going down sitting at them showing setting up accounts for them and getting them going going on it then it just keep they keep building on it and the more you use it the more more you know how to use it so uh, you guys you know obviously uh, have the benefit and also the challenge of being a, a single store major line dealership and you know certainly when you're talking about um, you know either small store operations large stores um, you know there, there could be that potential for a disconnect between ownership and and staff and you know I think you had alluded to it John I mean sometimes you know, the precision team is, is pretty far removed, you know, from, from ownership and they're not a hundred percent sure exactly what they do or how they function and, you know, trying to get their arms around it. And a lot of time there's a lot of autonomy that that group has, but, um, from your perspective, I'd like to, to hear from each of you, um, you know, what are, what are some of the keys or advice you guys have on, trying to avoid, you know, those barriers or disconnect and, you know, kind of forging a, a strong relationship between, you know, whether it's the precision specialist and the manager and ownership, um, you know, for, for dealers that might be struggling with that dynamic. Well, I guess trust and communication are, are the biggest things because sometimes, especially in spring, the heat of the battle, you're, you don't know what your day is going to look like until that day. And you don't know what's going to be broke. So sometimes you're ordering parts. You're standing in the middle of a middle of a field and ordering parts, and they just show up to shipping and receiving. And without that line of communication, just trying to say, "Hey, get to to the parts that's going to be checking them in," saying, "This is coming. This is going to go for." And then they have to trust that you're going to come back and tell them we're either going to make a work order, or it's going to a part slip, or it's going to a stock unit number just so everything's accounted for. Can, can you think of any situations, uh, Phil, where maybe, maybe that was the case? Every day, yeah. <laughs> Especially <laughs> in spring, it's pretty hard not to think of a situation because, like I said, you don't know what you're going to need until that day. You also, the guy you've been working on for the last two weeks to, on a project, Austin decides that they're going to do something and they need it yesterday, even though they first told you today. And you just gotta just gotta get it going to keep the customer going, and sometimes that creates a little havoc on the shipping and receiving spot. But in the end, we always always work through it. Yeah, I'm just gonna comment on that because I am that guy that will pick up the phone and call a supplier and have uh, you know some liquid fertilizer parts ordered in, and uh, I'm just gonna have a name for a PO and 
and our parts lady then she'll she gets a little excited because she doesn't understand where they go and, and I, I know where she's coming from um, because we do run in that like I said spring is our worst time because I can't get ahead enough to tell her that these are coming and they're going to go to so-and-so like Phil says we usually got three different ways we're going to bill it so I am that guy I mean if I got an egg leader customer and he needs something and I'm just I'm calling my supplier says hey send this over put a PO and the customer's name on it when it comes yeah, she doesn't know what, what's happening with it. She doesn't even know what's coming. Um, so those those are some things we're still struggling and working a little through. Um, we do, we, you know, we talk, and I, and I always tell her, I said, just just hang in there with me. I'll come back. We'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll go through all your pack slips, and I'll tell you where everything is going to go. Um, but that may be two weeks away. I, I can't always say that I'm going to have time. You know, within the week that that shows up, I may grab this stuff and tell her, put your pack slip in my in my folder. When I get caught up, and I get, we can catch our breath a little bit, we'll go through it. Usually it's a rain day, but even rain days in spring aren't always good days either because there's guys that want to uh, maybe fix something else up or add something, and if there's a rain day, we can sneak it and we'll do that. So, you know, those are struggles that we have. Um, you know, um, with management, it's it's been great because, you know, he's got an open-door policy. His door is always open. Um, if we got an issue, we can just go there and, and discuss it and, and things like that. You know, we usually don't have too much issues that way. I mean, again, I, I propose an RTK network and I was told if I didn't have, you know, 20 guys signed up right away that it was, you know, ridiculous to even think about put it, building a network. Well, we did. And, and today I think we're standing close to 45 um, customers on it now. So, you know, you got to have some trust that this is all going to work out and, and I always tell my parts gal in the back, you know, just, just trust me, we're, we're going to get through this. And, uh, and she does, and it's, but it does make for a little hectic times. On the, on the management front for me, it's been being the bridge. I, lately, I especially feel like I, every day I'm the bridge between the departments. Uh, I'm trying really hard to see both sides of any situation. Uh, you know, Phil and Eric, they, their time is valuable. So, so for them, it's the most efficient. What's the fastest way that I can that I can get this order transacted, so I can move on to the next one? Because I I've got another three more in the queue, or I've got another guy on the phone with me. And uh, on the admin side, they want to ensure thoroughness and detail and 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 that uh, continuous stream, smooth stream of of processes to do. And when you bring the two together, it just doesn't work. So just communication. Uh, rather than I've really been trying to drive everybody to ask questions rather than make statements when entering a, a, a challenge or maybe a, a hiccup in the process. Let's ask some questions about it. Let's get to understand why uh, Phil and Eric maybe weren't able to get around to something for a week rather than making statements or, or throwing emails out about stuff. We're all one team. We got to work together and, and uh, without them out there pounding it, there's no sales to be coming and there's no paperwork to be done. So on the flip side, if the paperwork's not getting processed, the money's not getting collected. Um, so it, it goes hand in hand for both of them. Just trying to always remind everybody that we have to support each other. We can't be throwing knives at each other. So uh, John, I mean, uh, you know, you mentioned kind of obviously you got to keep the paperwork moving. You got to keep the sales coming and, and you know, the, the invoice is getting processed to, to get the revenue coming in, and, and obviously the the bottom line is is kind of the indicator on on I guess the you know financial success of a dealership. But 
from your seat, what are what are some of the other elements you use to measure and assess the the productivity of your precision team? The new thing we rolled out last year. In the past, Phil and Eric they were they were handled similar to the salesperson. They had the, they had a base pay, and then they got commission on on the deals that they got done on an individual basis. And uh, similar to what you got to experience in the day in the cab, the the partnership that they have, the teamwork that they have. Uh, and conversations with them, it really helped me understand asking them questions that they're in it together. They're, it's not a matter of, you know, just me, 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 and I'm going to worry about my own deals and each deal. So it brought me to the point of let's make this a departmental goal. Let's, let's set some departmental goals and we're going to build it off of available income through our spader group. I've learned a lot about available income and really have driven that through the departments that this is how we're going to, right the ship is we're going to focus on available income goals and we're going to get there. So we set some vigorous goals for the two of them and lined up a number of expenses that they would be responsible for. And so let's go after it. Let's see if we can't break even this year in, in the PF department. And currently we're above break even. So it's a huge accomplishment, I believe, for a PF department to be in that position and it's because these two are chasing it. We we set goals for different product uh, types and categories. They they actually set the goals. We sat down and I said, "What do you guys think? Where? How many do you think you can move this year?" And then we assigned a regular goal and uh, what we call a a, a BHAG goal, a big hairy goal, uh, just for fun to try to see if we can't chase something. And uh, that's worked out really well. I, it's not a perfect science, that's for sure. There's things that I'm asking them to do that are above and beyond um, what I ask other individuals. Um, but on the flip side, too, I, I know they know that they trust me that I'm going to work with them at the end of the day uh, to help them as much as I can. When I first started, yes, I was on more of the sales side of things, and then Phil comes over um, out of parts. And, and yeah, we, we didn't have really anything to benchmark ourselves off of. Um, our benchmark was what we were getting commission, you know, how our commission was coming out. And that was, that's where our benchmark was. Now, you know, John's kind of laid everything out. I mean, flat out honest, do we think we're responsible for all these charges? Nah, maybe not, but we're, we're, we got big shoulders. We take care of it. Um, so, but at least we got a benchmark. We know what we got to do. We know we got to, you know, where we need to be and how we need to get there is, is up to us. And, uh, I guess we didn't have that before. So, now that you have that, you got something to see, you got something to strive for. So uh, for, for probably uh, Phil and Eric, I mean, uh, obviously one of the, the focuses here of this session is kind of looking at just that whole store buy-in. From your perspective, I mean, when you guys kind of develop that model and, and looking at obviously, um, you know, I guess the responsibility that each of you has, you know, and certainly that was a joint decision, but in terms of kind of, uh, you know, I guess, being on the hook, so to speak, but is that a, a motivating uh, factor, kind of an incentive for you guys, you know, to contribute to the the overall success of the dealership when you guys have those measurable goals that you're setting? What would you say? Human nature says you don't want to be the weak link. Um, so again, we want to be, we know that large egg right now is not going to make a lot of money. You know, they're, it's down, it's, it's a tough market right now. Um, 
we feel that we have a market where a guy could spend, you know, five to $10,000 and he's got something that he can work with. And we've kind of capitalized on that. And, and, and yeah, we don't want to be the part of the ship that, that isn't pulling its weight. So we, we want to make sure we're pulling our weight. Um, again, I, like I said, we had nothing to measure ourselves before. Now we do. And, and we can see what we're doing. We can see where we're hopefully projecting out to the end of the year now. Um, so it helps out. It, it just we just we just want to make sure that the whole store knows that the PF department is doing its job. It's pulling its weight. It's it's making things happen, and and the, and the store buys in it. They, it can see it. I mean, uh, the things that we're doing, the things that we're bringing into the shop to work on, um, that we're selling, moving, going in and out of here. Um, you know, they see that. And I, I think they're they're buying in on it too. That these guys aren't just standing around and doing nothing. They're they're making something happen and they're moving some product. I think the, the indirect revenue from them goes unnoticed too often. Uh, selling a new planner today, you're not going to sell a new planner without a bunch of PF product on it. That deal does not happen if we don't have a successful PF department. So examples like that that don't get noticed or, or a, a gentleman that they sell some PF product who ends up buying parts from us at a later time. Again, it's an indirect sale. Very difficult to track. So something for management always to keep in the back of their minds. The other revenue that is generated from them being a part of the organization, even though you may not be making any money on that phone call that he, that he spent uh, on the weekend hours and hours and hours trying to diagnose an issue or something, but he kept that customer going. He kept the support and uh, you're going to have those times. It's just a matter of recognizing that remembering that they are doing a lot, even though it may not be showing in the numbers. I guess too. At basically, at the end of the day, we're all wearing the same shirt. No matter if you're a service guy, sales guy, PF guy, parts guy, doesn't matter. We're still we're all in it together. And there's some things we'll go out and on demos with tractors and not necessarily fill out our time, but we're still we're going out there to help get that customer familiar with the equipment, try and make that sale. Sometimes we deal with a not typical normal customer. And for me and Eric, we have a lot of people that only deal with the precision side with us. We try, so sometimes they're calling us for parts and nor, that aren't PF. So we try and in turn direct that to the parts department where it should go. And we're just out there to pretty much bridge the gap between all departments and tie everything together. Well, you know, one of the other aspects too of, of uh, I guess, leadership and obviously um, maintaining stability is, you know, just that continuity with the department. And obviously it's no secret within particularly the precision side that, you know, turnover can be a big challenge. And, uh, you know, I've certainly seen that with a, a lot of the dealerships I've worked with over the years. And and I know, uh, you know, really it's, it's hard to insulate yourself, but um, you know, from your guys' perspective, I'd you know, like to get each of your takes on, on what do you see as some of the components of, um, I guess, keeping uh, employees, you know, productive and, and creating a very healthy culture, obviously, that is going to, um, you know, I guess, want to keep, keep people there, keep people productive, um, you know, keep them happy. So what, what do you guys see as some of the key components of that? Well, support from all the other departments sometimes when you get, especially spring bombarded with problems and you feel like, oh, we can turn this one over the shop and you have full confidence that that guy can take care of it. That's a big, big weight off your shoulder too, knowing that other people are there to help you out and 
willing to when willing to let lend a hand. I always look at it. You got to get everybody to buy in. And uh, I just tell you a little story. I mean, when I was at the other John Deere dealership that I was at, I was a, I was a service tech for 21 years, and I, and I was very good at it. But I wouldn't let anybody get close to me because the problem is I always felt fear that they would take my job. And when I get here and I start here, the first time Phil walks in the office, I sort of had that same tenacity to do that again. I, thought, I told myself, you can't do that because he's got strengths that I don't have. And, you know, it took me a while to figure that out. And you may have a problem with a, with a, I may have a problem with a service tech out in the shop and maybe they went out and did something that I didn't quite think was the way I would have done it. Again, I got to be able to go out there and say, you know, what you did was fine. Maybe I would have done this. And it's how everything is gets worded. If you come out there and you just, again, you come out there and throw a knife and say, well, why'd you do this? Then they're not going to be able to say, Hey, you know, this guy's you know working with me. I want to work with you. Not, not against you. I want to make sure we're all on the same page at the end of the day. And that was, Again, for me personally, that was hard for me to do right away. It took me a while to figure that out. Like I said, if I got an issue, and then Phil will joke about it because I'll tell him that he's not zip-tying wiring harnesses on the way I would do it. And <laughs> a lot of times I beat him up on that because I have a way I like to do things. And as long as it's not going to rub against the belt or do anything wrong, it's fine. But, again, I have my way of doing things, and a lot of times I'll beat him up on that, but I still do. That's okay. But. Um, no, th those are things that I, I think you have to do. You have to let everybody buy into it. You have to let everybody feel that they are a part of it. Um, because if you're trying to set yourself apart from that, then you're never going to get anybody to help you or buy in, and they're not going to want to stick around. They're going to want to leave. From an individual, it's it's finding somebody that has a passion. I, I know when, when Phil actually interviewed for the parts job, he openly discussed the, the interest in the precision side with the manure handling and applying. And uh, it's unusual. And sometimes in a small organization, being a single store, it's hard to have that ladder of progression for employees. So I'm always conscious of that, wondering, you know, is, is an individual going to get bored of doing the same job, knowing that they can't, you know, move up to a management role or something? in the foreseeable future or, or, or take a different path because we've got to fill that spot that they were in um, smoothly in order to transition them somewhere else. So I've really focused on the passion side. If somebody's passionate about it, uh, like Phil here, uh, he's going to excel at it. And that's where we've been trying to focus on anybody new that we're bringing in. They've got to have passion and a drive for, for what they're going to be doing we know what it's like. It only takes one person to be the culture killer and it, it just resonates through everybody. And that's been one of my biggest focus points is how can we prevent that uh, from happening? How can we make it enjoyable for these guys burnout? I mean, when you're in the spring and it's 24 seven phones ringing off the hook, the rest of the store, you know, the texts they carry an after hour pager on a schedule, uh, the parts guys and myself as well, we're on call, but not like them in the spring. And if we don't acknowledge that and respect the fact that they're doing that, uh, it can make it difficult to, to work with them because they're going to be tied up. They're going to be busy. So burnout's a big thing. I, I try to ask them every once in a while. I probably don't ask them enough how it's going and, and how they're feeling. So uh, kind of got to the, the crystal ball portion of the, the session here and just wanted to kind of get your, your guys' views on, um, you know, say 
you know, five years from now, when you're you're looking at the the precision business for ICE implement, um, you know, are are there things um, that you guys you know foresee yourselves wanting to get more into, whether it's from a product perspective, whether it's a service side or, or expanding into different areas. I mean, um, you know, maybe you mentioned the passion side, John. You know, I'd love to just hear from each of you guys. You know, if you're looking five years down the road and what's going to keep driving that passion for you guys to continue to be a part of this dealership and this this business. You know, when I look at things five years from now, um, it's hard to say because there's there's so many things that are changing right now and there's things that are on the horizon that we haven't even seen yet. Um, we're, we're just trying to make sure that we take care of our customer the best we can. Um, we, we provide him the product that he needs and the right product. I mean, we don't, we don't necessarily go out and push stuff onto a guy that maybe doesn't need it all. Um, we'll, we'll take it in steps with a lot of people and say, Hey, you know, why don't you just do this now? You know, next year we can take care of this part of it and we'll build on it. Um, and, and I know there's, there's, some, there's some great products are going to be coming out, and, and we're excited about whatever comes down the pipe, but it, it also always provides a challenge. A, how do we market it? You know, who are we targeting? Um, how are we going to go after that and then try to sell it? Um, and, then, and then we got to be able to support it. we got to be able to support it and, and, and provide parts support for it. So that's, those are always the things that are challenging you going forward is to make sure that you're doing everything right um, to make sure we don't lose that customer. Yeah, I guess so. It's always looking for that next step. What's going to separate us from the next guy? Because being a single store dealership, there's other John Deere dealerships around us selling the exact same thing at the exact same price. But the difference is who they're buying it for. They're buying they're buying into us, not just a screen or receiver. They know that we're going to be there for them. We're going to be answering that phone call at Sunday, and just going to be there help help and willing to help my crystal ball is probably a little cloudy but all depends on the on the egg sector what happens uh we would we would love to be able to have a dedicated pf tech uh and and a system that could allow them to push their admin tasks down to somebody in the office to to do some of the paperwork uh to get them out more and be able to sell more and target more Robotics, I see, is going to be playing a huge, a huge part in the future. In five years, it's not crazy to think that we will be at that stage of having quite a bit of that out there. I know our area of the country, we're usually a little bit slower in terms of technology adaptation, uh, but we're we're always looking at new opportunities and on the robotic side and, and what that's going to hold, especially with five G coming. Um, that could be a, a huge game changer. Well, last question for you, gentlemen. Um, you know, I just wanted to, again, go down the line here and just, uh, again, we've covered a lot of ground here today, and, and I really appreciate the time. But wanted to just find out what each of you would offer up as your single best piece of, of management advice for other dealers. For me, I mean, obviously, it's just communication. Uh, I've been able to talk to the different departments, to management, whatever you need to talk to. I'm not a big emailing guy. Uh, it's not a very good way to get a hold of me. Um, so I, I like to, I like to communicate verbally. I like to, you know, just, just communicate that way. I, I think that's, that's huge in any form. Um, you got to be able to communicate. I guess uh, 
think of the saying, Rome wasn't built overnight, especially in our situation. We tried to build Rome fairly quickly because we're kind of tossed into it and no one really had direction. And it's awesome. All right, we're going to do a precision farming department. We don't that's all we knew at the time. Okay, the next step was let's get Eric in here and how are we going to handle it? Not really sure. When will we grow enough to get that second pers- person? Not really sure because, like I said, I was hired in the parts, knowing that was my ultimate goal to eventually build into this role. How long am I going to be sit- sitting, waiting for this opportunity to come? Not really sure. So there was just a lot of moving, a lot of moving parts at, at one time. But focusing if one thing's not working maybe get that one piece that's the biggest problem focus on that and then start taking care of the some of the other problems not just make all sorts of changes at one time where everything's haywire and try and go forward instead of going backwards ask questions definitely definitely key just uh, a lot of times they'll come to me and they'll ask me something because we've been trying to figure out how to track different financial numbers and you know, where's this coming from? And uh, a lot of times they get the, they get the, I don't know from me and, or maybe they come up with an idea and they say, yeah, should we do this? And I'm not going to give them a yes or no answer. If I'm a little on the fence, I wouldn't educate myself, use data, use data to, to drive some of those decisions and then uh, lean on them for, for the answer. Let them run with it. Cause my yes or no answer may not be the right answer. So I'm trying to have an open mind and ask questions. Thank you, John, Eric, and Phil for sharing your insight, collaboratively building a successful precision business. You can keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2020 podcast series. For John Ice, Eric Hagenauer, Phil Davister, Ice Implement, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.